Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Kevin Manger, Managing Director of Suds Law, an automobile valeting, valeting company based in Cornwall. Kevin, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, leader, it means obviously authority and respect, I suppose, to me as a person. Mm-hmm. And how um, would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, I was always blessed with my first job. Um, our, our leader, my boss, was um, a very nice man. Um, was someone I looked up to and respected and never wanted to let down. So I, I think I was quite lucky with that as a, as a first boss to take that into how I personally have my staff. Um, I want them to respect me and enough to entrust me and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, just say want to work for me, but confide in me and like that, really. Now, let's go back to the beginning of uh, your working life. Was there a particular individual who was a focus for you on how to lead? Yeah. Um, I Originally, when I was um, 18, I worked for a local brewery in Cornwall. Um, I had a boss called Dave Warren. Um, and he sort of like ended up being like a father figure to me throughout my career when I started started at the company and finished in eleven years later. Um, you didn't want to if you'd done wrong, he told you off, but you respected the decision. And it was um, let's say you also admired him. He was also a friend to you and someone you could confide in and trust and knew it would go no further. Now, is that a way that you try and model today to your employees? Yeah, um, I believe there's with big companies, I think, because there's so many lines and there's no face-to-face values, whereas being a small company, I have four employees. Um, I see them regularly. I speak to them regularly. I, I speak to the end of every day to make sure they're okay. Um, I try to be involved in their personal lives and make sure they're fitting well, especially in modern societies and stuff like that, um, and try to be their friend and their boss at the same time, which I think does work very well. And do you find, as you lead a small team, it's more difficult to remain a leader while being friendly with with such a small amount of employees as it would be if you were leading a large team? I find it easier being friends with a small group than it would be to be on a personal level with a large group. Whereas like a big company, I think a lot of it now is all emails or it's hearsay of the top guys at the top sort of thing to talk to. Um, and I think there's quite a distance from them to the people on, on the ground floor sort of thing, whereas with a small group, I feel there's not that much difference between us. We all do the same job, but I'm still one of the guys who do the work. Now, of course, leading people uh, has in its uh, in its wake uh, leading people. Uh, people uh, aren't are not infallible. Uh, they uh, become ill. They have uh, issues with each other at times and issues at home. How do you deal with these challenges when they crop up? Um, I think you have to have trust in that person to know if they're generally ill and they have to have a day off. You have to support that. I think this, with this day and time, I've got two young children and it's one of them things. I mean, if I can't go to work, I'd, I'd, I'd have to explain it. If sometimes you just can't explain it. You've just got to take the time off and trust them to have that time off. Um, again, ensuring they're fit and well with, with the 
mental effects and stuff like that at the moment, it's it's something you have to be sympathetic with. Um, I don't think you anyone to judge and if someone has time off and just ensure they're going to come back and be happy. What's the biggest challenge in running a small business? Um, I think it's the right member of staff for your business. I say, as a small business, I think of it more as a family. Um, so they're my family people. Um, you have to be able to get on with them. You have to be able to respect them. Um, and I think you'll probably go through 10 people to find that one decent one that you click on 100% with. So uh, it really begins at recruitment. Um, so if you were yeah. looking at uh, to speak to a, a young person who maybe is in, in secondary school and thinking of setting up their own business, what advice would you give to them? Um, it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, don't give up. You can't give up and you're going to get a lot of knockbacks or a lot of things that aren't going to go the right way. You have to have flexibility to change the direction if it's not going the right way. Um, always listen to people to give you that advice. I mean, that's the thing for me. I, I know a lot of businessmen and they all advise me and you've got to take everything out of it and mm-hmm. use that as a positive. Um, we're partnered with Porsche and I, I see how they're with their staff and stuff like that and you take bits off which you agree with and you learn from. And so they're a very big company. Um, some things aren't good for a small business, what they do, but how they how they are with the, their business side of things. But some things they do do, which I can reflect that on my business. So it's just taking things off from other people and just listening and growing. And of course, never be afraid. And of course, that is a rather exciting partnership you have with Porsche Exeter. You are their sole supplier. Uh, how were you able to win that contract? Um, we worked very, very hard. We got recognized as a very good detailing company. Um, we got accredited as a G-Technique, um, which are a surface coating company. Um, so we're a small handful of people in the UK that are allowed to be selected to apply their products. Um, where we, we're based in Union Cornwall, um, there's quite, quite a limited area of traffic for customers um, to come in because we're right by the coast. So we thought we'd take it to Exeter where there's a large volume of traffic. Um, Porsche is one of my poster cars since I was a child. Um, and it was a dream to be near a Porsche, let alone work in Porsche. Um, my friend's brother is a, is a, a manager there. And um, he sort of gave us a foot in the door to give them a trial. And um, we've sort of gone leaps and bounds and ended up taking, up, taking over the whole company with the valet inside and service washing. Um, it's gone really well. So we've been there a year now. Um, hopefully to do another dealership in the future. Fantastic. Well, going back onto the subject of leadership, if I was to ask you objectively, who is the greatest leader, living or dead? Who would that be? Oh. <laughs> Difficult one, I know. Uh, yeah, um, very difficult. Um, I admire Winston Churchill. Um, I think that's on a personal basis of what he's done for the country. Um, I mean, in different countries will be different leaders, if you know what I mean. Um, someone I do admire is Winston Churchill. Um, I think he was um, he was brave. It's everyone's personal opinion. Though. Now, unfortunately, our time together is running uh, very quickly to its close. But before I let you go... What does the next uh, 12 months have in store for Suds Law? Um, hopefully another year of growth. Um, hopefully a few more employees and 
expand to another dealership. Um, just continue to be happy and have a great bunch of staff, really. Um, that's all I can wish for. Well, Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. I very much hope to speak with you again at some point in the near future. Uh, Kevin, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for having me. That was Kevin Manger, Managing Director of Suds Law. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And, of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence 
uh, for me, I guess, would, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62-40 before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge when it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years he, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organization, one thing I have learned, and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that, that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that 
it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team but in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position and somewhat fortuitously I only got back in the team because of a a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had we were very I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals uh, we have some great players but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with you know over the years and Jeff I've got to ask and I'm, I'm not making this up I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, 
but I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot in the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh if you, that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that 
uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, good they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I'm... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. 
there was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude (laughs) alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.